Act of 1973, Roe v. Wade, uh, Roe v. Wade was passed, and that legalized uh, abortion. And so that uh, graphic that we just watched uh, and those bells, the 58 bells that you heard represented at the time when that video was made, the 58 million children that uh, were lost to abortion. And, of course, that number has now risen um, to over 60 million. I believe I think I said 61, if I remember right. So, uh, yeah, 61 million children since 1973. When you see the graphic, that's, that's in, that, is, that is sobering. Um, and that's, uh, that's my generation. I was born in 1970. And so, um, and then that's many of you, if you're under 50 years old, that's your generation. Uh, and so it's a sobering thing, and uh, I think it's important um, to emphasize that. Carol was wanting to be here. She was going to give a few minutes about the ministry that she heads up at Shiloh. She will do that on the fifth Sunday at 9 o'clock. She's going to do that presentation. But I wanted to go ahead, and because it is Sanctity of Human Life weekend, I wanted to go ahead and recognize that, and I wanted to mention that and also just ask you to, to you know remember that ministry here locally um, we don't get behind a lot of parachurch ministries, uh, but that's one that we do get behind. She's the director of it. It's right here in our own community. And, uh, and so I just wanted to, to mention that. Also, it's a resource, right, for, for uh, those in a crisis pregnancy. And so, and it's well used, by the way. And so it's something that you all should know about in Cass County um, and the southern part of the metro. It's a great place to go, women that are in crisis pregnancies. Uh, and they're not going to direct anyone toward abortion. They're going to direct them toward life. And so uh, it's so important. You know, uh, humanistic and Marxist philosophies, um, they teach that, that natural selection is a good and, and normal thing, and meaning, uh, to put that in layman's terms, survival of the fittest, and that you should kind of purge out the weak. But there's no one to defend a, a child in the womb. And so uh, somebody's got to stand up and do that. And um, you know, the strong can't survive. And, and that's just counterintuitive to what the Bible teaches. Um, the, the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible says in Romans 15, one, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, right? So we have a different mindset. And it's almost, it's indicative when you see that map and how they, they selected those states in the middle. You could have taken out almost every major city in the, in the United States as well if you want to do it that way but how it kind of divided the country in half. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. These subjects of life and death are dividing people. And yet, you know, our job as ministers of the gospel is to reconcile people. And there are people in, the, in our church that have had abortions. There are people maybe you're suffering in your heart from that decision. And I want you to know you're welcome and wanted, and we're here to help you. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, Carol herself uh, is someone that, uh, her te- you could have heard a pin drop when she shared her testimony of a young lady who was in a crisis pregnancy and elected to have an abortion uh, at one of the banquets. And then when she got to the end and said, oh, by the way, that's me. Uh, silence. So we're really blessed in, in our church to have someone like Carol heading up a crisis pregnancy center who understands and is touched with the feeling of a young, of a young lady's infirmity. And, I, and as Christians, it's so important that we are sensitive Right? Sometimes we're painted as those who don't care about women in crisis pregnancy. There's nothing further from the truth. We really do, not just about the child. We care about the mom, too. And, uh, and we understand there's some moms that have made those decisions. And, and uh, I know when I was lost, I, made, I had all kinds of weird thoughts in my head, and I didn't even grasp uh, all of those things. I was an advocate for abortion myself until I got saved. And, 
in God's providence, he sent me to uh, a pro-abortion uh, education seminar in high school. I got elected. Um, I got selected by my peers because the person that was supposed to go with student council or whatever was sick. And so they just asked the kids, they said, who would you like to go? And they said, well, send Brian to be the kind of guy to want to go to this. And, of course, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was appalled when I got there. And uh, my mind had just, I'd just gotten saved. I'd had a whole summer of discipleship. I was ready to go, you know, and I get into this environment. And it was just everything that was against God and against Christ, right from the horse's mouth. And so I took their information back to my high school, and I became an advocate for pro-life, pro-Jesus. And uh, they said that kids need to know, so I told them kids need to know Jesus. And, uh, and so that's where I went with that message. But uh, there's a concerted effort to educate your children and our children in, a, in that philosophy that would not help those that are weakest, but to, to basically purge those that don't suit our needs. And that's not much different than any pagan philosophy or religion. I don't care if you're worshiping Baal or you're worshiping the dollar. That's not a biblical mindset. So uh, Proverbs chapter 8 says in verse 35, For whoso findeth, a, a, a findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So God not only, he loves life, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why Jesus led his disciples into Samaria. So if you have your Bibles, be turning to the book of John chapter 4. We're going to continue our vision update. I would just as you're turning there, I just want to remind you that, uh, again, Shiloh uh, Preg Crisis Pregnancy Center here in Cass County, just right here in Harrisonville, is here to meet women where they're at. If you know a lady that's in a crisis pregnancy of any age, any situation, please uh, find Carol Thompson. She can help them and, and direct them to that location. And make sure to be gracious and kind to those that have had abortions and help them understand that they can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ because there's no sin that's so great that Jesus' blood cannot cleanse it. And so if you're someone in that situation, we want you to know we love you, we care for you, and, you know, we're getting ready to open back up to John 4. And, and Jesus met with a woman who had a pretty checkered past herself, and yet after meeting him, uh, she found that he had the water of life, man. It was flowing out of him, just as he said. And so, uh, so as you're turning there to John chapter 4, if you're joining us live, by the way, we're glad that you're with us. I pray you're encouraging the Lord this morning. And I, welcome, I want to welcome you this morning to, to the church service. Uh, after seeing that sober video and a reminder of a culture of death and how pervasive that is in the world, it just really emphasizes what we're talking about and have been talking about the last couple weeks. And this is our third and final week to discuss John chapter 4, our third installment of our 2021 vision update. And, uh, and uh, if, you don't if, if you didn't bring a Bible, there is one in the seat rack. Uh, Steve was mentioning that. There's one in the guest bags if you're a guest. And we'll be in those Bibles. It should be page 1,416, 1,416. Before we jump into um, the, the text and read it this morning, I just want to remind you of where we have been the last few weeks. Uh, we talked about, as Jesus met uh, with <clears throat> the woman at the well, and she went off to Sychar to, to, to tell everybody that she had found the Messiah, Jesus uh, met with his disciples, and he talked to them, and, and what he revealed to them was that, that, uh, that, he, that he was here to finish the Father's work. He says, I'm here to finish his work, and his work is spiritual. So we saw that, and, and he's met with his disciples there uh, at the well, and he told them uh, what was going on. He explained to them because they needed discernment. They were worried about physical things, and Jesus was worried about spiritual things. And he's like, hey, guys, uh, this is, I got meat that you know not of. I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I see a harvest that you don't see, right? And so he was explaining that, and he also talked to his disciples about needing a, 
a divine diet, right? He's like, man, I, I want the will of the Father. I want God's will to be done. In John 4, 33, he says, Therefore said he unto his disciples, or said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't actually physically hungry, but what he was saying is that my, my soul will not be satisfied by eating. If I eat right now, I, I would miss what God has for me. There has to come a day and a time in our life where the things of God are preeminent, even over our necessary food. You know, that's what Jesus was telling him. This is important. I am not going to eat until I do the will of the Father. And then he, uh, he, knows, he taught his disciples that they need to do the work. And we talked about that practical application of who were we in this story? You know, were we the woman at the well? Were we the men of the city? Were we the disciples learning uh, how to follow Jesus? Uh, were we the obedient son, like Jesus Christ, who gives his life uh, for the will of the Father? And uh, at different times, we're probably all of those things, depending on your relationship with the Lord. And so that's where we left off. And I encouraged us to grow in love and wisdom and faith. And so last week, we came back and we talked about uh, you know, the need to finish his work. Number one, it was spiritual. But number two, it's urgent. So we talked about the urgency of this spiritual work last week. In John 4.35, he said, Say ye not, there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Right? So he's, he's pointing out to his, his disciples, Hey, look, guys, uh, now is the time to get to work. Don't, say, don't wait four months. Today is the day to get after it. Understand what time it is. That's what we talked about. The fields were wide unto harvest. They needed to understand, and we need to adjust, not only understand what time it is, we've got to adjust our vision accordingly. Jesus' counsel, by the way, I mentioned was only to the disciples, right? He wasn't telling everybody from Sychar uh, that message. He took his disciples aside, and he says, hey, guys, you've got to know what time it is, and you also got to be able to see the field. And then um, we talked about seeing the way Jesus sees the field. He says, behold... I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, right? Not just a field, but several fields. They're white already to harvest. And, and then we concluded with talking about the need to seize the opportunity. It's white. That means now is the time. That urgency was laced throughout that entire message. So that's what we've talked about thus far. As we talk about finishing the work, uh, his work is spiritual. Uh, there is spiritual work to be done. And we need spiritual food to accomplish spiritual work. We've got to have a spiritual mind and and we got to be willing to get after it, right? Because the time is short. Uh, it's urgent. And so this morning we're going to talk about how this work is also eternal. Right? There's, an eternal there's an eternal implication uh, to what we're involved in. So let's look at our text again. John chapter 4. I'm just going to back up to verse 31 and go through this whole thing down to verse 38. And uh, then we will pick up as we go verses 39 through 42. So John chapter 4 verse 31. Uh, I know you're all laid out. I'm not going to have you stand, but just read with me in this text. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice. And herein is that saying true. One soweth, and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the reality that uh, we are at this place in time. You have allowed us to be here. You have delivered unto us the very words of God. We have your word in our language. It's an amazing miracle in and of itself. And yet here we are at the precipice, Lord, of, of your coming. We know what time it is. We know how urgent it is. And you have given us the means by which to bring in a harvest. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we are, are looking upon the fields, that our hearts would be open to you using us, and that we would be willing to understand the preeminence and the importance of the spiritual food, that we'd understand the urgency of the hour. We just saw a video that is, is not the problem. It is a symptom of the problem. Heavenly Father, the influence that you desire to have in the hearts of men is being uh, retarded. It is being held back. It is not... And it is not impacting the heart of men like it needs to. Men's hearts are hard. They are getting colder. And Lord, it's our job to, to pray and to be those saints that you can use to bring in the harvest. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that we would not promote a religion, that we would pr- promote the Lord Jesus and a relationship that he desires to have in the heart, in the life, in the mind, and in the, in, in the, in the soul of every living creature. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be here this morning engaged in your mission for your power, for your glory, for your honor. Oh God, put us aside today. Teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. Help us to grasp hold of who you are and who you've made us to be in Christ. And Heavenly Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, they don't know that, that, that grace and that peace of having the water of life flowing freely, not just to them, but in them and through them. The Heavenly Father, they would have that grace this morning, that you would show them their need and their way to simply receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God's work is eternal. In John 4.36, you know, he talks about this, this engagement of reaping and, uh, and uh, receiving wages, gathering fruit unto eternal life. And he talks about those that have gone before, those that that sowed and and reaped may rejoice together. There are those that sow, there are those that reap, but we know in Corinthians that God gets the increase. All glory goes to God, and we understand that. And herein is that that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth, he says in verse 37. And I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor, other men have labored, and you are entered into their labors. You know, a lot of times evangelism works that way, doesn't it? Have you ever led someone to Christ that is just ready? You know, oftentimes we talk, what scares us about evangelism is rejection. We're afraid that we're going to share the gospel and someone's going to reject us. That's our flesh, and it's not, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not about us, it's about God. Uh, but at the end of the day, oftentimes that's, that fear causes us to miss the, the fruit that's white unto harvest. You would be surprised that there are so many people today, right now, I mean right now, that are not averse to the gospel, that are they're actually looking to, to, to find somebody like Jesus who will meet them by the well and simply point them back to the Bible. Not drag them through the Romans road real quick necessarily, but even open up the Bible and, and answer their questions about life from the Bible. What does God say? What does the Bible say about this or that? Abortion, for instance. What's God say about that? Why does God say that? How did God create man? You know, going back to Genesis, a trichotomy, and, and, and what happened? And, and this is why we celebrate life, and this is why God is the God of life and not the God of death and so on and so forth. We could go on and on. And, and that's what Jesus is really telling his disciples. Guys, listen, there are people that aren't just, they're not like you. 
They're not, they don't even have the right doctrine, right? You can't even put them in your, your camp, right? They won't, but you've got to get out of your camp and go to their camp and talk to them, else they're gonna, they're not gonna, you're, you're going to miss out on the harvest. He says, hey, other people have sowed. And obviously, in this case, the water was there. Jesus did the watering, and now he's telling his disciples, look up, because here comes the harvest. What are you going to do? Now, we know that Jesus is going to take those same disciples later on, and he's going to charge them. Go to Jerusalem. Uh, and leave Jerusalem, go to Judea. Okay, that's, those are all my cousins. And then go to Samaria. What? Yeah, Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the world. God's going to entrust them with the field. And the field's being white unto harvest. And of course, to this day, we're still being entrusted with the field. So point A, you know what we need to do? We need to do his work. There's work in gate to, to do this. In John 4, 36, he's talking about the need to to do the work, he that reapeth receiveth wages. If he that doesn't reap, guess what? He's not going to get them. There's a reward that's coming. There's a reward that's coming if you go to work. Uh, you know, knowing the field is wide into harvest just is not enough. Uh, having empathy for, for people who are suffering around the world is not enough. Knowing what's wrong is not enough. You've got to actually do something about it. You've got to get in the field and start reaping. Now, that's why the disciples find themselves there. They follow Jesus. Now, when they follow Jesus into Samaria, you know, they were obviously not completely grasping everything that was going on. And they probably, even as Jesus was teaching them, wasn't fully grasping the place that they would have in the kingdom of God. Right? They're, they're looking for a physical kingdom. They're lo- at this point in their, their ministry, they're still, they're still wrestling with, with uh, understanding all the, the, the immensity that, that Jesus Christ really brings when the king comes to this earth. I mean, it's a lot. Right, and so we'll give them a lot of grace, just like we need a lot of grace. This, God's mind is—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's as shallow as the seashore, and it's as deep as the ocean, isn't it? I mean, and so uh, so there's a lot of things there that He's trying to, to to invest in them. You know, this morning there are some here this morning that you just simply need to hear the simple gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, and He's alive right now, and He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to change your heart and your mind about what it takes to get, to get right with God, to get clean, and lay aside your works and simply receive his finished work on the cross. Now, it's, for me, when I was lost, that's all I could get my head around. That's, that's as deep as the ocean. Man, you just got to really believe that Jesus is, and he's a rewarder then that diligently seek him. And so there's that aspect, but then there's others of you that, yeah, I know all that. Yeah, and I know. I already knew about how many abortions there were. I know this. And after a while, that's the danger of being in a Bible believing bible teaching churches after a while you know all that i've heard that yeah well knowing it isn't enough you got to kind of look at the context you're sitting in samaria and you got the lord jesus christ that's led you there all the circumstances around you why is the world going to hell in a handbasket because god needs you to do something he needs you and i to go to work the symptoms are are, are what are, are just are evident that not everybody has the peace of god and even those that have the peace of God aren't always able to get their voice out. So we need as many voices as possible getting the word out that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is enough. That his mind, his word is true. And you've got to have people that are willing to go to work. Just like the disciples. Against all odds. And discipleship is where it's at. So knowing the field is wide unto harvest is not enough. Jesus had, had brought his disciples into Samaria with him because he has every intention of getting them into the harvest. That's why he brought them there. Why has God brought you to this day? Because he has every intention of getting you into the harvest. 
He, I don't care who you are. I don't have to know. I know God's will. God's not willing that any should perish. So if you're wrestling with the gospel, God wants to harvest your soul today. He wants to bring you into the kingdom of God. If you're born again, you say, I'm a Christian. But, forget the but, God wants to take care of whatever the but is and get you in the harvest. That's why God created you. That's why he, he recreated you. That's why you're a new creature in Christ. And all things are, old things are passed away and all things are become new. I understand that there are issues with your flesh. I understand there are issues in your relationship. I understand there are extenuating circumstances. But you've got to know what time it is. It's time for us to let God deal with all that so that we can be everything God saved us to be to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish for His honor and His glory. And you don't have to go there. But that's what He's doing in our life. So you're saved by grace through faith, right? We know that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we're saved by grace through faith. But in verse 10 of that same passage, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the man and the woman that is saved, the young man, the child that gets saved, the young woman that gets saved, the reality is is that we're saved unto good works. Jesus Christ has saved us to be a part of his harvest. He wants us in the field. He's left us in the field, for instance. Right? If that wasn't the case, you'd accept Jesus Christ and boom, you'd be out of here. You'd be gone. You'd drop over and you know, you'd be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But the, the eternity that starts for every Christian, the moment you sincerely trust Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? I was, I was dead in trespass and sins. And then March 25th, 1987, I knelt down, grabbed hold of a Bible, the best I knew how, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart, understanding what I understood at the moment about my soul and what Jesus did. And bam, eternity began. And man, I was a different person. And there's plenty of witnesses to that. I'm not just telling stories. I literally got changed like that from the inside out. Now, it wasn't, always, it wasn't manifestly apparent to everybody else, but it was definitely manifestly apparent to me. I knew something was different, even though I doubted it later. And that was because I wasn't actually doing what I needed to do in regard to my relationship with this book. I was learning, but I wasn't really believing, right? God showed me what faith is all about. You're saved by grace through faith, but you have your security also in this book. You've got to believe what it says over how you feel. And those things about believing God's word over how you feel, man, it's amazing. It's a growth you'll experience when you walk by faith, not by sight. And so God continues to, to grow us, and he grows us forward. And, and why did he save us? Eternity begins the moment you get saved. But he leaves you on the planet. He leaves you in the field to follow him so you can bring in a harvest. He needs you, and he needs me to bring in a harvest. That's why we're here. It, it does us no good to pray for laborers for the harvest if we're not laboring ourselves. Think about that. Oh, Lord, I pray for laborers in the harvest. And God says, yeah, me too. Why don't you get in the field? Right? Now, I got some scripture for you. Matthew chapter 9. I'm not just saying this stuff. I mean, the Bible tells us, Matthew 9. Then saith he unto his what? Disciples. Who's he asking here to pray? He's not asking everybody else. He didn't go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, hey, pray you the Lord of the harvest that he had sent forth laborers. He says, he says unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Who's he talking to about praying for laborers? Well, guess what? The people following him. The people who are disciples. 
right? The people that are following Jesus, the ones that followed him into Samaria. He, those are the people he's saying, hey, man, I, I need some help. Who's he talking to? His helpers, just like you do in ministry. When I'm sitting in a pastor meeting, I'm sitting in a ministry coordination meeting, I'm sitting in a church Sunday, who am I? We need help. We need help in the E-wing. We need help at Common Grounds. We need help at the front door. We need help all around the world. We need help in Word First. We need help. We need help. I can't go out in the street and tell everybody we need help because those are the people who need the help. Who do I tell? I tell the people that are following Jesus because that's all I got to work with. Jesus had 12 men. He had 70 men at most. He says, guys, I need help. You need help. We all need help. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Notice whose harvest it is. It's his, it's his harvest. That's why we're doing FEMA this year. His work. His work, his harvest, his field. He bought it with his own blood. So we're saved. We're in his field. We're following Jesus. Now are we praying the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors? Oh, yes, brother, I'm praying. Okay, are you yourself laboring? Notice Jesus isn't asking everyone to pray for laborers. He's asking his disciples, those who are engaged in the work of ministry, understand the urgency for help. Some of us sitting in the church right now, you don't know it yet, but you're an answer to prayer. I had someone just come up this morning for church. God's called me to get engaged. Okay, great day to be here. Because we're going to get you engaged. There's work to do. Now, God's building his church one soul at a time. And you are an answer to prayer. Now, the problem with a message like mine is I'll get everybody stirred up and you'll say, I want to go to Uganda as a missionary. We need missionaries in Uganda today. But you will need to do the work to get there. Before Jesus unleashed his disciples on the world... They spent three and a half years walking with him, learning what ministry was all about so that he could release them, right? So there is a process in discipleship. The reason he's taking his disciples into Samaria at this point in John 4 is because later he's going to release them in Acts chapter 2, once the Spirit of God indwells them. He's going to instruct them in Acts chapter 1, and then God's going to work their way out uh, through the, the apostles, and, of course, Paul then would get called as well. So you guys understand the process. There's a process for getting ready and God building his church one soul at a time. He's bringing key people and key personalities together in his providence, and he is the one who provides, so that we can together accomplish more together than any one person could on their own. Where's the next Billy Graham? Where's the next great preaching savior of the United States? Well, there may not be one. It may just be you. You may be the next preaching savior, and you may not get—you may not pack a house with millions of people, but maybe your blog post will bring a few people to Christ. I don't know, but man, get to work, get to work. We should be praying for laborers, but it'd be much more genuine and effective if we're labor, laboring ourselves. Well, you say, Brian, what about the elderly or the incapacitated? And I'm glad that I'm glad you asked. Because not everybody is physically, right? When you think of laboring, again, like the disciples, we think of physical labor, like they think of physical food. And, and there is physical labor to do. We know that. And there's plenty of that. I, if you want to you know, get into some service ministry, I just put out an announcement in ABS. We've got service ministry to do in this church right now. Plenty of it. But 
But the spiritual work of, of teaching the Bible and, and making disciples and all of that, uh, it takes some preparation, and it's, it's about ex- engaging our, our mind and our soul as much as our body. And there are people that get, are in situations that are they're incapacitated. Uh, and, I'm, I, I, and, you know, in our church, we have seen examples of, of how to minister in a mighty way as our physical capacity diminishes. And, uh, and that does sometimes, unfortunately, happen. We can't all just run our race out at full speed, and then, boom, God takes us out through death or they're catching away the church. Some people, well, their body decreases, but that doesn't mean their soul does and their zeal. And so we've had some great examples of men and women in our church over the years. And I hate to start saying names because once I start saying names, then I, I will certainly leave many out, not just a few. But just, just by way of example, I think of Walt Cundiff. When he came to our church back in the early 2000s, he was, just a, he, was a, he was already getting older, but he'd been through a building program. Him and several of the elderly men had, had built a church, and he was just tired, you know. And he, and he came to Heartland. I said, you know, Walt, don't do anything. Just sit down. Just sit down and soak it in. And he did because he was not just weary physically. He was actually at that time more weary spiritually than he was physically. And uh, he just needed some rest and refreshment spiritually. Physically, he was still popping around pretty good, you know. He'd probably still take us all to the hoop, you know, and, uh, and whip us. He loved basketball. But, you know, it wasn't long, and he was serving uh, as a spiritual advisor to, the, to our, building, uh, our building team, our facilities team that helped get the building and everything up out, out of the ground. And, uh, and he served well. But, you know, if you were around, you saw that Walt, you know, age caught up with him. And he started kind of shuffling and getting slower. But you know what? He never stopped serving the Lord. And you were always on his mind. And he was always asking and always praying. And as long as he could, you know, Barry would go get him and take him and make sure he could visit. And he visited until he couldn't visit. And he was praying till the day he went home to be with the Lord. Right? He did the work. And and you know what? He's going to get the reward. He's going to get the reward. You saw Joe Sparks, man, roll up in this place. He had no business being here so many Sundays. Uh, he was in incredible pain and agony. And all he was just here to pump his fist and tell us troops to go. Go, HBF, go, you know. And Reet, to this day, still calls me and talks to me and tells me she's praying for you. And she's praying for our church. She's praying for my family. I talk to her frequently. Reet has not forgot about you. You know, just because she's not physically able to be here doesn't mean she's not in the ball game, right? And so there's so many people in our church. I remember Carl Hatfield. And Carl Hatfield was one of the most unassuming people. He was so frustrated, man. He, he was a mechanic, a diesel mechanic, a farmer. I mean, he was a hands-on, manly man. He could, you know, there was a time in his life he could pick up a transmission and put it in. I mean, this dude, he was something. But you know what? In his older ages, he had heart problems and he had diabetes and he was slowing down. And I mean, we talk about, man, Brian, I, I want to go to Africa. He wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to go to Africa, put his hands on something in Africa, and literally help the Africans in Africa. He never got there, but he helped missions. And you know what? He also, he did a very, he did an incredible work, him and Peggy, calling around. Up until the day he died, calling the body of Christ. I'd talk to him, and he'd catch me up on what's going on. He was always concerned about where people were at, just touching base with people, making sure everything was okay. Man, what a blessing it was to have Carl. That was so sweet when he came up here at the end, and he challenged us, you know. 
wasn't long before he passed, just like Jim Boyette came up here and challenged us. Sweet. Our bodies fade, man, but the Spirit of God keeps, keeps working, keeps working. And I can think of others uh, who, man, I, I can't do what I used to, Brian. So, well, you know, they'll write out little thank you cards or they'll send, they'll send something to people in the church for us, birthday cards. We got Bobby over here. She's got a, she's got a, a room for praying. Uh, you call it the uh, war room, right? So she's praying, right? And, and so pr- don't, put, don't think, there, man, I tell you what, praying is huge. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. You think praying is no big deal? Well, then do it. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Just grab your Shelby Next Rolodex and, and members of the church and start praying for every member of the church. See how long, start thinking about every detail that you know about their life. You are not going to get it done in a couple hours. It's going to take you time. It's going to wear you out emotionally. It's going to drain you because something's happening. The incense are, are floating to the third heaven and God's hearing your prayer. That's what's happening. And things are being affected. Because there's no better time on the planet to see things affected than right now. So start in praying the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers. If you're a pastor, especially, that you have to do that. Okay, so these are just some examples for you. And i got to keep moving. I'm running out of time. So the disciples knew how to pray because they were part of the workforce that God was using to bring in the harvest. They knew how to pray. They were watching Jesus pray. Anyone could get to work in prayer. Just join a prayer team. We this year have organized prayer teams. Uh, for the, all the places around the world. We're here every Sunday night praying. You're like, man, Brian, I can't do anything else. You know, everybody can pray. You can come and pray. Sunday nights, come and pray. You're like, I'm scared to pray out loud. Okay, don't pray out loud. Just come. And you can sit there and, and join a team, and, and they can pray. And we're not going to think ill of you, because I know what it was like to not want to pray out loud. I've been there. Uh, and just get in on it. Before long, God will loosen your lips, because it's all dealing with the heart. Praying is big work, guys. Anyone can get to work in prayer. Anyone. I was just talking to some prayer team leaders. I'm like, you know, you don't even have to know Jesus. If you want to come to a prayer meeting, come to a prayer meeting. If you want to go check out what's going on with one of the missionary prayer teams, uh, some of them are meeting like clockwork every month, man, which is the way it needs to be. Get, get in on one of those monthly meetings. And uh, you say, I don't know those people. Well, you'll get to know them. That's a great way to get to know the people that are laboring in prayer. Okay, so point B, do his work uh, with his word. It's not just about doing his work. There's a way you got to do the work. You know, if you're a man, you know. You know this. Well, if you're a woman, you know this, right? Tools are everything, right? You got to have the right tool. When you're trying to do a job without the right tool, it just like, oh, my goodness, it's, it's, it's maddening. But tools make all the difference in the world. And so I had Justin come over and do some work at my house. He has this tool. It's like cutting all this stuff. And I'm like, I need that tool because I know how I would do that tool, that work and I would have messed that up with my old handsaw, right? I needed that. I need that tool. Having the right tool makes all the difference in the world. The sharp two-edged sword, of course, you guys know where I'm going. That's the sickle. That's what we need. Everyone knows that if you want to get a job done, you need the right tools. And it's Jesus, the Word of God, that, that makes the difference in Samaria. <laughs> That's what made the difference. It wasn't the disciples physically being there. They didn't know what they were doing. Uh, it wasn't the woman just being at the well. She was there to get some water. It was Jesus that made the difference in the story. Obviously, the obedient son that shows up with the right words of eternal life, a water of life flowing out of him. I mean, everything about it is Jesus. If Jesus wouldn't have been there, it would have been a pretty uneventful moment in Samaria. It would have been some guys catching lunch wondering, why are we in Samaria? Let's get out of here as soon as we can. But when Jesus shows up, it makes all the difference. 
And beloved, that is the difference right there. We don't just need people going places and doing stuff. We've got to be carrying the sword, the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus Christ is the, is the, this is the word of God. This is the power. This is what brings it to life. This is what quickens. This is, this is everything, guys. This is it. It just looks like a book, but it's everything. It's God's mind. And, and so it's the sharp two-edged sword. We, we don't get souls out of the earth if we don't bring a sharp two-edged sword. We don't cut away the soul uh, from, the, from the flesh unless we bring the sword. There's only one way to quicken somebody, and that's to bring the living word of God. That's the only way that someone gets separated from their flesh. That's the only way that we get out of their grave. It's the only way that it's going to work is through the word of God. And you know Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick. It means it's alive and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than a sword. The sword's just like an example. The scalpel's just an example. The blade is an example. The word of God is even better than that. It's like a sharp two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why Jesus could say, Hey, yeah, yeah. You're right, the guy that you're with now is not your husband, and you've had five husbands before the guy you're fornicating with. Boom. Why? Because the Word of God cuts to the heart. It deals with the matter of sin, and it also quickens the heart. The Bible goes on in that passage in Hebrews and says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but some things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Is that what it says? All things, amen. Somebody's on it. It's all things, not some things. All things. See, we ain't hiding nothing from nothing. You know, I just saw Dan Bongino, you know, he, they shut Parlor down and he's all fired up and I understand. And he's talking about, you know, they're going to know everything you're doing. They're going to leverage you. All the secret things that you're doing on the internet. <laughs> Hey guys, I got news for you. If you're reading this book, there's somebody already knows the secret things you're doing on the internet. It, we're ne- it's naked and open. You don't need to worry about the deep state. You need to worry about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, man. The, the church, we got a whole other standard for, for we. What, what are you? What the deep state? Well, come look at me, man. This is the thing. Look at the Word of God. This is this is the key. That's what makes the difference in our heart. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's what people need to be concerned about because that's where righteousness sets and that's where judgment flows from and that's where grace comes from. And you know, in spite of knowing everything about you, God still loves you and He loves me too. Isn't that awesome? His word is true. His word is true. First John, or John 4, 3 says, He told me, the woman back when the lady at the well, says, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on Him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Well, we know, based on what we heard, we didn't hear all the conversation maybe, but the main thing we heard is he told her, he, he was able to tell her what she wasn't telling him. <laughs> and uh, God exposed what was true and what was false. The woman at the well had nothing to hide once she met Jesus and understood in spite of her sin, he was still willing to meet her there at the well. He's the one who started the conversation. I need a drink. 
Why did he ask for a drink? She needed a drink. He didn't need a drink. He wanted to meet her where she was at so she could get the water of life freely. And once she realized this man who she, you know, ethnically would not have gotten along with because he was a Jew of Samaria, you know, this man accepted her enough to talk to her. Then he's like, once, even deeper than that, he accepted her knowing her sin. This is why you need the water of life, young lady. Your lifestyle is a symptom that you've been drinking at the wrong well. And I know a lot of people that drink at the wrong well. They're down there getting some spirit that ain't the right one. Why do they, do, why do they go to that well? Whether it's the meth well, the, the alcohol well, the pornography well, whatever well you want to go to, why do we go to the well? Because we're wanting relief. You're wanting to escape. Guys, the only place to escape is Jesus. He's the only way out. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, that's so simple. It's simple, but it's profound. You know, in 1 Kings 3, Solomon was faced with a very difficult situation. He had two moms. One had rolled over the baby. They were both harlots, by the way. One rolled over her baby in the night and smothered it. So she stole the other mother's baby and then gave her dead baby to the other mother. And then in the morning woke up and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Your baby's died. It's terrible. And the mom was like, that's ain't my baby. This is your baby. And so they're in a big fight, you know, the deal. Finally, it makes its way to the King Solomon. And, and they're both saying, no, it's my baby. And no, it's my baby. And her ba- uh, you know, they're going back and forth. So he's just like, all right. Give me the baby. We're going to cut this baby in half. You can each have half. And you know how that went. The true mom was like, no, 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 that's okay. Just let her keep the baby. God says, oh. That's, or Solomon says, oh, through, you, you're the mother. Give her the baby. Why? She wants life. She's willing to give up her will for the sake of her child. Solomon knew who the baby, who the mother was, but it took the sword to bring out the truth. You know, the sword will tell you who wants life and who wants death. One of our members was just lamenting. I just was visiting with them recently, and they're like, man, I want my family to get saved so much. And when they, uh, they can't see that all, all I'm asking is for them to receive eternal life. I mean, that's all I'm asking. I don't want them to do anything else. I don't, I'm not asking for anything. I just want them to receive the gift of eternal life. That's all I'm asking. It's life and death. Sometimes we can't see past our flesh, can we? We need the sharp two-edged sword. If we're going to get fields out of the, going to get get, get the, the harvest out of the fields, we got to use the right equipment, and the right equipment is the sharp two-edged sword. You can talk about social programs all day long. You can help, you can talk about feeding the world. You can talk about all kinds of of things, and you can do good things. But at the end of the day, you're not harvesting any souls if you're not using the Word of God to do it. We're born again by the Word of God, the Bible says very clearly. God's Word produces the truth when in the hands of a wise servant of God. And we exist here at HBF to give you the Word of God in a way that you can use it. You can use the Word of God. You can teach discipleship. You can go on a mission trip. You can share the gospel. You can teach children. You can invest the Bible in your family. The Word, the word's testi- the word of God's testimony is true. I'm going to run through these quickly. This is just some, some info about the Word of God. Revelation 1-2, Jesus says, 
this, this verse says, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. His testimony is true. He will not lie. All the things that he saw, they're absolutely true. John saw it. He says, it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, uh, 10 says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, when Jesus said something and says something, it is true, not just because we want it to be true, but you can actually check it out in the Bible and see if it comes to pass, and it will come to pass. It has come to pass, and also the prophecies that he promises will come to pass. When he says he will save your soul, he will save your soul, but you got to believe him. you got to trust his word by faith. Jesus' words are true, and what he says is true, and what he says will be is true, but also Jesus' words they, they tell us the truth about our, our sin, that we're sinners. In John 4, 39, again, he told the woman of Samaria uh, that she was a sinner. And it says that many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying that the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. She's like, man, this guy's word is true. And he told me that he told me exactly who I was. In John 4, 29, then she goes on to say, come and see a man which told me all the things that I ever did, is not this the Christ? Only God could do that. The woman answered in John four seventeen and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast, um, now hast is not thy husband. In this thou saidest, uh, thou saidest thou truly. The only truth that you've told me, lady, is that you don't have a husband, but you haven't told the whole truth. This woman was fornicating outside of wedlock before living water came from the well. She needed to confess her sin. There was no need to hide her sin when you're dealing with the truth. He already knows, and, he, and, and just bring it to him. Confess it and forsake it, the Bible says, and he will have mercy. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Isn't that great to know? God wants to give you mercy. He wants to give me mercy. Well, how did how did in the world did that mercy appear in her life? She went to Sychar and told everybody. There was no hiding anything. Guys, I, I'm not going to talk about my past, but I do want to tell you about this man I met. Because she'd met a lot of men. <laughs> but I met this one man, and he told me everything. you got to come meet him. It's hard to share truth if we don't hear the truth about our sin. Notice the woman at the well did not resist the truth, but owned it. Why did she own it? I believe it's because of Jesus' goodness. In Romans 2, the Bible says, to those that should know better. I'm not talking about those who don't know better, those that are hard, but these are people who ought to know better. Romans 2 says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things, speaking of Romans chapter 1, and thinketh this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, Boy, who among us, it's easy to point the finger at other people, but as they say, you know, there's at least three pointing back at you. You remember when Jesus would come out against the, the couple in adultery there, they only talk about the woman taking the adultery, but there had to be a man. That guy is either in the crowd or not present, but they knew who he was. Jesus is like, hey, pick up the stone and go for it. You want to keep the law, keep the law. So by the way, where's the man? He didn't say that, but that's probably what was going on in the heart of those guys. Oh, 
Nobody's going to judge her? Well, go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and go back to your sin. He says, go and sin no more. Romans chapter 2 tells us it's the goodness of God. Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's God who brings the change in our life. It's his goodness to us. It's his word in us. It's his, it's his spirit in us. The word tells us that Jesus saved us. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the, here it comes, testimony of our Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about this sharp two-edged sword, this tool that's in your hand. Don't be ashamed of his testimony. Uh, why? Well, because it's what saved you. Nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Get in the work and feel the pain, feel the burn. Get in on the power of God, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God has saved us by grace, but he's called us to, you know what, not be ashamed of his testimony, to take the testimony of Christ out and proclaim it. Beloved, we cannot be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like being a carpenter and being afraid to use a hammer. That's ridiculous. You've got to be able to use a sword or you'll never get anything out of the field. You're not going to know how to, if this isn't your sickle, you're not going to be able to deal with the heart. The world draws us to, or I'm sorry, the word draws us to him. In John 4.40, the Bible says, So the Samaritans were come unto, uh, unto him, and they besought him that he, w- that, they would, that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Notice that as he went into Samaria, it worked. She goes and says, Hey, I need to introduce you to the word. His name is Jesus. His testimony is true. And uh, I, want, I want you guys to, to meet him. So they come, and they come to him, and they abode there two days. Now, two days is a picture in the Bible of, of, I believe it's a picture of the church age. We know that in, in uh, 2 Peter 3, 8, the Bible says, A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I won't get into all the verses today, but the Spirit of God has been drawing men to himself through the Word of God since it's indwelled the church in Acts chapter 2, and he's calling all men everywhere, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, to repent. He wants everyone to get saved. So it's no accident that they hung out with Jesus for two days. All these guys come out. Jesus says, hey, look on the fields. They're white unto harvest. Here they come. And you know what he does? We're not given all the details, but he sits there and he convinces them and he speaks to them and he tells them all the things that they've done and how that they can have water of life as well. As these disciples heard Jesus say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. I believe these men were coming in from Sychar. God's saying, look on the fields. He's, every one of those men, was, those men represented a field of fruitfulness. God wanted to see fruit in all their lives. Sometimes you look around and you go, oh, this world's full of problems. You know, it's, no, it's full of fields. You know what's in a field? A good field that's going to produce fruit It's going to have some manure in it. It's going to smell. It's going to stink a little bit. Great place to put the seed. Great place to see a crop. You see fruit coming out of that life, man, it's a good time to harvest it. Just, get, just meet with them and see where God takes it. The seed of his word has been planted in the heart of, of these men. By who? The woman at the well. She's gone and planted the seed. Now it's time for the disciples to harvest. I'd like to have been there and watch how Jesus interacted with the disciples and see what else he was teaching them there at that time. But we aren't given that information. Notice the church will be inviting people 
to take of the water of life freely for all of eternity. I want you to see this in Revelation 22 and verse 17. You know what? We're like that woman at the well. All she did is go back to Sychar and invite all these men to come back to the well. Not the physical well, but the well who is Christ. What does the church do? Well, Revelation 22, 17 tells us, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. Revelation 22, 17. Beloved, all God wants us to do right now. What kind of labor does he want us to do? He wants us to begin now in time what we're going to be doing for all of eternity, which is bringing people to Christ. We're going to be bringing the nations to Christ. We're going to be used to say, hey, come and partake of the well of life. Literally, Jesus Christ is a fountain of living water. In Ezekiel, the, the, the temple that's going to be here in the millennium is going to have a trickle of water, and it's going to turn into a great ocean. I mean, it's going to just flow out of the temple. In the third heaven, he sits there, and there's water that comes out of the throne. Why? Because Jesus is a fountain of living water. No matter if it's spiritual water, physical water, however you want to take the analogy, Jesus Christ is the well that doesn't go dry. And we know that we can't even exist on this planet without what? Water. Well, beloved, if we're going to get people saved, we've got to be getting them the water of the Word of God because it's going to bring them to the water of life. It's going to give them everything they need. God's using the bride and the Spirit of God to draw men to Himself today. And it's not too late to begin praying and participating in the outreach of HBF. I mean, we got things going on like Invest Women's Study, Personal Bible Study. we got discipleship, outreach events that are coming up. I don't even have time to tell you about everything coming up this year. The 4th of July outreach, uh, the Church in the Park outreach, all of those things. You know what? That's not just something to come and sit and enjoy. That's something to bring a mindset that, you know what? I'm coming out today. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to look on the fields, and I'm going to see their white under harvest. When I go to church on Sunday morning, I'm not just going to show up and see what I can get, though I'm going to get something. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to look around and see who God is drawing to the water of life. Because the well, not Brian, the well, the water of life is open and God is drawing people to himself. And what does he need? He needs disciples to engage with people. You know, in a lot of churches, they expect the pastor or the pastors to do all the work. That's a church that's not going very far. If you want to see the harvest come in, everybody that's got the spirit of the living God in them has to lift up their eyes and look on the fields. And if they're serious about Jesus Christ, meet people where they're at and get the Bible in them as soon as you can. Because Jesus is coming soon. And guys, we will regret it if we miss the opportunity. And man, if we don't believe it, then my goodness, we are playing games. God forbid we'd be that church. Let's not play games so soon before the coming of the Lord Jesus because the word of God, it convicts and convinces us. John 41, or 441 through 42, Jesus says, And many more believed because of, him, because of his own word. Man, they came and they saw it for themselves and said unto the woman, Now we believe. Lady, you did a good job of getting us thus far. But once we heard the words of life, it was the word of God that did the work. And praise God, they believed. For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. I want you to understand that. These Samaritans understood something. The Pharisees and even the, the Christians that were Jewish had a hard time figuring out that Jesus Christ was the Savior, not just of their people group, but of the entire world. They got it with one message, one couple days with Jesus. Beloved, that's the message we've been preaching in the church for 2,000 years. His word must become our word 
His word must become our word. They wanted to meet Jesus personally. They wanted to hear from him personally. And this is, what, this is why we put such a strong emphasis on one-on-one discipleship and daily time in God's word. It's a personal relationship. I can get up and read my Bible, and I do every day. I can't live without the Word of God. But you know what? My reading isn't going to affect your life. You've got to read the Bible for yourself. It's your job to read the Word of God. That's exactly what happened to the woman at the well. I will, well, I guess reading the Bible does affect your life. But if I didn't do it, you'd notice it. Point C, do the work in His Word to receive an eternal reward. Because this is eternal work. You need an eternal reward. And I've got to be done. John 4, 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. So I just want to tell you this. Look forward to eternal reward. I want everybody listening to me today, here in the building and online, I want you to look forward to eternal reward. You know, Paul was able to come to the end of his life and say, you know what, there is laid up for me a crown of rejoicing, man. There is, he was able to get to the end. I have ran my race. I have finished my course. I have fought a good fight. You know, Paul was just able to say, hey, I've done what I could do, and uh, there's going to be a reward. He knew that he gave what he had and that Jesus was going to bless it. Do you know that about your life? I, if you're toward the end of your life, and by the way, you could be 20 years old and be toward the end of your life because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. But the point is this, are you ready to go to heaven? Are you prepared to go to heaven? Are you living a life today that says, you know what, I'm doing what I can to invest the word of God in the people of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God? Guys, I, you guys know me. I'm trying to do that too, but I still have regrets. I'm still like, man, I want to I get some things done. There's some things I'm asking God to allow me to get done. I'm worried now. Not worried, but I'm concerned. I'm like, man, am I, gonna, I was telling Amy, mission trips are going to be two months long because we're going to have to decontaminate to get there, decontaminate to get back, but I'm not going to not go. God says, go. Life's going to have to change because we've got to go. There's things to get done all over the planet. And, beloved, there's things to get done in Cass County. There's things to get done in our lives, in our families' lives. We've got to look forward to the reward that comes when we're obedient. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, the Apostle Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What are we looking forward to? Well, he says, Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Man, Paul's like, you know what I'm looking forward to in eternity? Well, yeah, I want to see Jesus, but I want to see you. I want to see the glory that is manifest to y'all. I want to see people that, that there's people walking in this church in darkness and God quickens their soul through the gospel. Boom, the light comes on. I'm looking forward to seeing eternity, how that thing shines. Some of you gotten saved, discipled, you're going, you're, you're, you're blowing, you're doing what God wants you to do. It's going to be incredible to see what God does. And we get the glory in your life. Paul's like, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what God, how the, all this, this tapestry is going to look when we get to the other side. It's going to be absolutely incredible. You remember that old hymn, Bringing in the Sheaves? How many of you know that old hymn? Not many. About a third, maybe. The old hymn goes, Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontime and the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bring in the sheaves, bring in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilly breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. He that soweth and he that reaps rejoices together for the eternal fruit that is offered to the Lord Jesus. 
man, it's going to be a good day when we get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory, man. It's going to be awesome. That's a reward. It's an eternal reward that we should be looking forward to because this work, man, it has eternal dividends. It's going to be incredible. Amen. So don't wait. Don't wait to invest in eternal reward. The woman at the well entered into the field immediately upon believing and brought a harvest to the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. So how are you investing in the kingdom of God? Being here this morning is a good place to start. Good place to start. So what's the next right investment you need to take? Pray over it, count the cost, and then take the next step. The next right step. Maybe this morning it's salvation. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's membership. Maybe it's uh, getting involved in a ministry. Maybe it's getting involved in a prayer team. Maybe it's getting, going out in evangelism, getting an IGO team, which I'll talk about that another time. Maybe it's getting involved in, in, uh, in taking a mission trip. There's a lot of things you could do, and you should do. Be praying about what is that next right step. In 2021, uh, we have plans to sow God's word. Where, where it's uncomfortable, yet where it's fruitful. We want, to, we want to ask Jesus to lead us to those places, maybe in your life. God, where can you take me that's maybe uncomfortable for me, but it's a place where I know you want to bring in the harvest. Lord, take me there. Let him take you there so you can sow, so you can water, so you can reap. Another thing I pray in 2021 is that God would make all of us better shepherds, starting with your pastor, but all of us, whether you're shepherding your, your home, uh, your family, your, your ministry, we all need to be better stewards because you know what? There is an attack upon the church. There's an attack upon the family. There's an attack upon you, Christian. And so we all got to be about tending to the flock that God has given us. And I tell you what, we also need to make sure that we're following Christ and, and we're ready to go when he calls us to go. Send us wherever you would, Lord. And man, there's places to go, people to see, things to do. In 2021, how will you, hey, you can just pray. Praying is not just doing anything. That's awesome. Maybe you need to get in a prayer team. Take time. You got to plan your life. Okay, I'm going to take one day a week, a month, and I'm going to get in a prayer team. I'm going to invest for a few hours with some people. We're going to pray for Oaxaca. We're going to pray for. Um, I'm going to miss all the. Go through their bulletin. Look at all the different places. I'll miss them all. You know, maybe you need to take a trip to Boston. Uh, we're going to Boston. Perhaps VBS. VBS is a trip right here in our own town, and you can do it right here in the church. There's so many things that we could do, and I got to be done. So take advantage of the work that's already been done. In John 4, 37, Jesus goes on to say, And herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Learn from the Samaritan woman's example. Jesus was using her as an illustration for the disciples. He used this woman to show the disciples what it is he needed from them. He needed them to receive the word, believe the word, go out to people and share the word, and bring them back to Christ. That's all. That's what he needed. And beloved, that's what Jesus needs from us in the time that we have remaining. Take him to the word where they can hear from him. She entered in the, in the field by faith. She went to the city and brought the harvest to Jesus. Now, what are they going to do with these that she, they, they brought in? Well, God tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, God uses Paul to move from an agricultural analogy in the 21st century to the Roman building process. And he says, you know what? We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. When you bring people in, the job is to get them built, built in the word of God. And we do that through discipleship. 
through investing the word of God in our lives and the souls of men. And I tell you what, as we do that individually, this church, I need everybody in this church who is able to really disciple, who's been through How to Disciple, who's through D1 and wants to be in How to Disciple. I need you to really look at your life and say, you know what, do I have room in my life to disciple people? And if you don't have room in your life to disciple people, you probably need to stop some things and make room in your life to disciple people. There's nothing more important to bring in the harvest than making disciples. I'm not saying everybody has to be a discipler. Not everybody's gifted in that way, so relax. But in your ministry even, even if you're not doing a one-on-one discipleship through our, our formal process, who are you reproducing? Who are you investing in? Our life needs to be about building the body of Christ before Jesus comes. We build upon that foundation. That's what we do. That is what Jesus Christ has left us here to do. Because it says, in whom also you are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Beloved, we are going to get to heaven and it's all going to come together. Why discipleship was so important. Following Jesus is all we are called to do while we're here. Glorifying him for all of eternity is what we're going to be doing. But it's going to be manifest then what we did now. And investing our lives in the souls of other people is where it's at. Once we meet them where they're at, we've got to get them built upon the foundation of Christ, the apostles and the prophets, the word of God that we've got. So we're building upon the foundation of Christ. And we're, we're going to do that until the end of the two days is up. And it's coming soon. Jesus is on, he'll be, won't be long and all this will be in the rearview mirror. And so, beloved, we've got to look on the field, see that they're white unto harvest, and we've got to get to work. And it's not our work, it's his work. Be busy about his work. There's so many other things you can be busy about. I'm not saying don't go to work. You've got to do your job and all that. But while you're at your job, do his work. While you're at school, do his work. While you're at ministry, do his work. Don't go to sleep. Stay awake. Stay after it. Lift up your eyes. Look on the field because they're white already unto harvest. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the